This episode of What's Up with Ward has a special guest, Mr. Alonzo Bowden. He's a light heavyweight when it comes to comedy. He's been in several shows that you may recognize, such as The Tonight Show, Comedy Central, Jay Leno, Conan, The Nightly Show. He's on several stand-up shows, but uh, he's probably best known when he won his uh, last comic standing in 2003, I believe it was. Yeah, great interview. We get to talk about uh, his views on New York pizza being the best in the world, uh, how he started acting, um, how he used to play basketball. He played against Charles Barkley, told some funny stories about that. He also talks about his views on racism and things he's seen. So uh, you're going to really enjoy this show. Check it out. Good day and welcome back to What's Up With Ward, the hottest podcast this side of the moon. My name is Wardy Ward and I'm the and the man sitting right next to me is my partner in pseudo-crime, Mr. Trey. How you doing, brother? What's going on, Wardy Ward? Another day, another dollar. 45 consecutive days of my mask on, 24 hours a day. Man, that's got to be rough in the shower, but stay strong, brother. Hey, um, we got a great guest on the show today and many people have probably heard him before. He's done a lot of shows. He's been on Last Comic Standing. He's been with Jay Leno. He's got a couple Netflix specials out, toured all around the world. You guys know him as Mr. Alonzo Bowden. How you doing, brother? What's up, Ward? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Thank you for coming on our show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Mr. Bowden, this is Trey. Just want to say thanks again, like Ward was saying here. I want to get to know you just a little bit better. And I was listening, looking at your bio. You have been in the game for about mm, 15, 20 minutes now, from what I understand. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've done over four shows. <laughs> you have done more recordings of shows than we have been on the air. So, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Really excited to have you on the show there. Okay. So, so Alonzo, tell us, uh, since COVID has hit, um, has that kind of changed how you approach and stand up? Or are you still going about the same way? Or what, what's different for you? Oh, no. It's, it has completely changed the game. And by the way, if you guys could turn your volume up just a hair, it would be good. I'm old and I'm deaf. Okay. But, um, no, every, everything has changed, man. It started with being locked in the house, right? Like, I didn't... I didn't go to the airport. Well, I shouldn't say that. I didn't travel from March to August. Now, I haven't gone that long without flying uh, in the 2000s, you know. Wow. I go to the airport a couple of times just to get patted down, just for a time. <laughs> <laughs> Keep their relationship strong, well, right? <laughs> you know, uh, Zoom and technology yeah. is what's different. I mean... This was, you know, last year, nobody knew what a Zoom was, right? Right. We had to start doing Zooming, Zoom shows, streaming shows. I've done drive-ins, uh, rooftop, on the beach. Wow. Anywhere we can. Like, the creativity now is where can you do a show. There's been a few club shows mm-hmm. uh, because a few places are open. But as you know, one of the big problems we're having as a country is there's different rules every 20 miles. Man. So, you know, you got that things right. get canceled, you schedule things, they go away, and I think you just got to be flexible, but like crazy flexible. Yeah, you're Unless absolutely. you got TV money. You got TV <laughs> money, you just sit back and say, I can wait. 
<laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of people get their start in comedy uh, various ways. Some people get challenged to go up on stage. I know Cat Williams said he was with a group of people and the only way he could get in was to say he was a comic. Now, if I understand your rise to fame, you were an instructor and you realized you were funny teaching people. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. My first career was aerospace. I was an airplane mechanic. And I got a job training new mechanics and had more fun making them laugh than teaching them how to read blueprints and, you know, shoot a rivet gun. Wow. And uh, I, I I took the plunge I, after talking about it for about a year. Because I didn't know how comics came up with material. Yeah. So I took this comedy writing class and the graduation was doing five minutes. Wow. And I did that five minutes, and I had already gotten my layoff notice from McDonald Douglas. Like, I, they were ending the training program that I was teaching. Yeah. And I just said, I'm done. I'm no more airplanes. I'm chasing this. And that, that's how I started. I started late, though. I started at 30. Most people start younger than that. So, mm-hmm. uh, that was both a, a plus and a minus. Okay. Wow, that, that still is an interesting feel to, to do airplanes. I was just like, wow. So you had to be really, so you are obviously smart, but that definitely shows there. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a different type of, uh, it's a different type of intelligence. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm ego trip or anything, but no. Mm-hmm. But the, the aircraft is a scientific how things work kind of thing. Well, I guess it might be the same. Comedy is more how life works right so it, there is a difference mm-hmm. airplanes you know you connect a to b and go to c right comedy you connect a to b go to r come back to c <laughs> and hope you make it to n yeah so. gotta tie that in there <laughs> well when you you went from comedy to acting did you have to take acting classes too or did that just come natural to you as well oh not at all not at all i i am not a natural actor I took acting classes for some years, and I had a phenomenal acting teacher and acting coach, and her specialty was taking people from one discipline to another. Like, she would train comics or models or or, uh, singers to become actors, because there's a lot of, you know, crossover. And it was interesting, after a couple of years... My stand-up career was starting to take off, and, and she said, she saw me, and she was like, go do that, because that's your passion, and it really is, it really is my passion. So, my acting career, you know, has been a wide variety of bouncers and security guards. I know it's a stretch, you know, it's completely out of character for a large black man. Right. I, um... I learned enough about acting to wonder how bad actors get jobs. I'm on my, my agent about that all the time. You know when you're watching a movie and you're like, how the hell did he get Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to be that guy. That's my goal. I want to be that guy. You look at the screen and say, he what? Him? Yeah, I want to be that guy. I, I love, listen, I love acting. I have a huge respect for good actors. And, when you, and the thing that people don't know when they when you watch a TV show or you watch a movie is how many times the actor did that scene right. and mm-hmm. created real emotion every time. I think that is the part of acting people don't realize when it you know, they don't do that once. It might be four or five takes. They gotta do the shot on the actor, then they turn it around and do the shot. 
person that the actor is talking to, mm-hmm. then they get a wide shot of both of them, and so on. And you're you're doing this over and over, and they they draw up the emotion every time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I admire that. I love stand up, and um, I would love acting money, but apparently you have to be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you you know I find it interesting too because a lot of actors who are funny can't do stand up, but I think stand up. Uh, comedians can do acting better. It seems that way to me. Do you find that that's the case? Well, there was a, a producer, and I'm, I'm not sure of the name, but it, it's an old Hollywood story. But he said, listen, I can teach a comic to act. I can't teach an actor to be funny. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're naturally funny, then they, then they can put you in an acting situation and you can pull it off. Just because comics, like, we have instinct to go to funny. You know, yeah. um, that's that's what works. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the one thing, and, and God bless anyone pursuing their dream, but the one thing that where we comics get mad and we're like, get out of the way, is when an actor pretends to be a comic because they're trying to get on a sitcom or something like mm-hmm. that. We're like, okay, look, you're not one of us. Yeah. You, you, you know, just, just move to the side because... Because there's a passion, right? And, and if you're, you're pursuing your passion and you're doing creating in something you love, then you don't want someone who's just there clowning around or just someone who's trying to, to hustle the art to make money. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So, so you know, with, with that being said, kind of think about your, your transition from, you know, being an instructor to going into the, the, the field of, of comedy itself, you know, where do you find your inspiration? Is it in the, the day-to-day activities, or you just kind of think about a, a random script of ideas? Do you run them past your friends? What, what's your usual thought process? Oh, that, that you know, uh, great question, by the way. And it's changed, mm-hmm. because when I started out early in my career, like many comics, I talked about myself, mm-hmm. and I talked about my life and, and my personal experiences, which I still do sometimes. But over the years, I became more interested in the world. Like, the world became funnier to me than I am. Mm-hmm. And that's when I moved more into the social commentary uh, that I do now. I, I love doing topical comedy. I love doing social commentary. I mean, there's so much going on in the world that I, I love talking about the comics. So that's where it comes from, it, you know. Um, Michael Yo, who's a, a comic and a friend of mine, he gave me a great compliment one time. He said, man, you're the only guy who can read a newspaper and come up with a new hour of comedy. <laughs> yeah, I would love, I'd love doing that. Uh, tell, your, tell your listeners they'll have to Google newspaper. I know a lot of the millennials. Nice. <laughs> right, yeah, what is that? <laughs> used to actually read it, and they printed it, and we read it. Right. That that's half the, half the trick of reading the newspaper. <laughs> knowing how to fold it. That's right. Uh, if you didn't know how to fold it, you missed. Man. Like, when did that happen? <laughs> oh, that happened yesterday. You just folded it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you you had mentioned. Uh, I watch a lot of your shows all the time, and I'm not sure what's real or are you making this up. But you just said you gave your brother a kidney. Was that part true? Absolutely true. Wow. Absolutely true. Okay. Um, you know, people say it's a great thing. No, he owes me money. And I was not letting him off. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But no, I definitely, yeah, I gave him a kidney. It's been seven years. 
Wow. He's healthy, I'm healthy. You know, my brother, um, I mean, besides being my brother, honestly, we're we're best friends. We're best of friends. Yeah, that's good. And he was going through a thing where he was having a degenerative kidney function. Oh. And it, this was over a period of years, and he got to where he had to do dialysis. And I mm-hmm. said, hey, if, if I can, you know, I'll give you one if I'm compatible. And they did the testing, and we were compatible. I gave him my kidney. Now, here's the thing. This is what I'm a little like, mm, I don't know. So, they they didn't remove his kidneys. They added mine. Because his were running at about 15%, right? Okay. And so now, technically, he has, well, technically, actually, he has three kidneys now. He has okay. mine and his two. Okay. And last year, when we did our physicals, our annual physical, my doctor said, hey, find out what his kidney function is. Just out of curiosity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, his kidney functions higher than mine. I'm oh, like, wow. I didn't mean to give him the good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, but we're both. Uh, and I'll tell you the other thing. This is what was funny to me about this guy. How many family members don't donate kidneys? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, a lot of people who need a kidney, no one in their family will donate. And and I just feel like, man. That's true. That's kind of rough, you know? Yeah. Even some people, there was, my brother showed me a story. This guy was worth $125 million, mm. and nobody in his family would give him a kidney. And I was like, if I had seen that, I'd have given him the kidney I gave him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. If you, had, if you had a cousin or a brother or uncle or somebody worth over $100 million and they needed a kidney, mm-hmm. I'm at least going to get the test. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, when, when you took that, uh, gave that, the kidney, I think they probably gave you a propofol, the Michael Jackson drug they call it. And because I had, I had that before, man. That, that stuff works super fast. And I, man, I, when they put you out, you know, I joke about it, but yeah, you are out when you go under like that. anesthetic. Like hmm. you're gone. You, you know, I honestly have no. I joke about it, but it's true. I have no recollection of the surgery. Like they, you start counting back from a hundred, you make it to ninety-five, and you wake up in the recovery room, you know, a pound and a half lighter. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yep. Man. Is that kind of like that vanishing day you talked about when you went overseas to Australia? You just don't know where that Sunday to Monday went? Is that what it's kind of like? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you cross the dateline, you lose a day. I don't know. I get on the plane, it's Sunday. I get off the plane, it's Tuesday. Monday, it's gone. Oh, you mean that's right. Okay. Hey, let me ask you a quick question, uh, Alonzo. You know, you, you mentioned you and your brother are real close. What was it like growing up in New York for you? Oh, I love it, man. Growing up in New York City, I grew up in Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest education you can get because you're you're in it you're in it right. There's no you know we were we were talking about this. I had a high school reunion two years ago. We were joking about this. You know how hard it would be to be a racist in New York City. Like <laughs> just walking down one block, you got to be mad at the, the black guy, the Puerto Rican guy, the Dominican guy. You got the the Asian woman. You got you know it's in New York. I love that. Everybody's right there. Everybody's doing their own thing. It is fast-paced. But you grow up fast. When I went to high school, I was a commuter. I took the bus and train to high school the same way my mother was taking the bus and train to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know? So you, you, you're exposed to everything, and I think it opens your mind. Um, that's what I loved about 
growing up in New York City. Uh, some people say that you shouldn't be exposed to that much. I'm not talking about, you know, dropping a five-year-old off in the old Times Square. And I grew up when Times Square was not meant for kids, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm not talking about that anymore. Right. But no, right. I, I love I love just the education and the energy of growing up in New York. In New York. Now that being said, once I left New York after high school, I left New York and moved to LA. Mm-hmm. I never looked back. I love LA too. Okay. I, I love both cities for different reasons, but I prefer living in LA. All right. Well, let me ask you this: something that's kind of close to, maybe close to your heart. You know, there's this this discussion we've been having about who's got the best slice. So. You got New York style where you folded, of course, right? You got you. I know you've probably been in Chicago at least a few times, right? Oh, you talking about pizza? Oh yeah, man. So who's got the best <laughs> oh, slice? It's, it's, it's is it New York? Is it New York? New York. It, it's not even close. Oh, New that's right. That, it kind of started in New York. Chicago style, that big thick pizza is fun to eat, but that's not pizza. You got to go to a if you can't you fold it, huh? New York joint <laughs> where you stand in line, you get a slice, and you get the hell out of the way because someone's behind you. And you have to sit down and eat at the table. No, the way you eat a slice of pizza is wrapped in paper, you fold it over, and you eat and walk and get the hell out of the way. Wow. Pizza. That's, that's, that sounds like you had a little bit passionate about that, that, that part of it. Then. I want to try the New York pizza. I didn't know it was like that. I, I just had Little Caesar. I you just know? have to ask that question because, you know, sometimes little people... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We're no longer out. Okay, we're going to turn off this microphone, right? <laughs> hey, you got to mute it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I got a question. Um, <laughs> go, to, go to the city. Go to Manhattan and order a little seat. People are looking. Like, what? Like, oh, man. Trey's falling off. <laughs> yeah. See, Trey be slipping. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. That's 40. Hey, man. Come on, now. I don't, I'm don't. i a food you know, aficionado, so okay. I, I just have to ask that question about the slices. Like, now, you you bringing in, you know, like, Red Baron pizza and, and frozen pizzas and everything else. I'm about Seasons now. Come on, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning from the show. So okay. I'm getting okay. Well, we'll let you slide this time. So uh, now, let me ask you about this. How did you go from starting out in comedy to seem like you? I guess it doesn't seem like it's overnight, but you're well known. How did that progress? How did you just, just kept going out hitting the, the, the little small clubs until you got home? You never, you never stop, right? You love doing it. I love doing it. So I'm always getting on stage from early in my career when I was going to bowling alleys and bookstores and coffee shops and anywhere I could get on stage for five or ten minutes uh, doing one-nighters in towns you've never heard of, you know, uh, that is just to do that. Then you, you try to get breaks. So my first big break came at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. It's like the biggest comedy festival in the world. Mm. I've been doing comedy about four years, and I was invited to do New Faces at the festival. Mm-hmm. And, and I did New Faces, which is just that, a show of unknown comics. And um, it really blew up for me, and I left there being recognized as a comic by people in comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, agents, bookers, um, and like Keenan, this is back when Keenan Ivy Wayans had his talk show, and I flew home from Montreal, and like a week later, he had me on his late night talk show. That was my first late night. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so you do, you do things like that. You get you get known. Producers know you. They're doing a stand up show. 
you can, you know, you, you audition or whatever, but they know who you are, mm-hmm. and you start doing that, and then uh, it's usually one thing leads to another. Now, sometimes, you know, you get lucky, you get that big break, like for me, last comic standing, and it's funny, you talk about overnight, I've been doing comedy for 10 years when I got on last comic, but... At that time, Last Comic was a huge show. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. Like mm-hmm. the Masked Singer is now. Right, know, yeah. It was a big show. People will watch it. So being on that show, I'll always consider that my introduction to America. Right. Because I was doing stand-up in prime time. And, um, you know, and for a long time, it's a lot of the competition lasted. And it was fantastic. You know, now, um, I didn't maintain the level of fame at that level. Of course, I wish I had, but... It is what it is. I'll tell you one of the one of the funny things was this was in 04, 05. and this is when the world of social media was just beginning. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. So we me me and John Heffron, who's another winner of Last Comic, we joke about it. It's like, oh, we got tens of thousands of MySpace friends. <laughs> but that's what it was, right? So uh-huh. we did the show. And then you you jump forward about three years later, four years later, and doing the show would lead to, you know, a huge Twitter following, which is a a different thing. And now you have comics getting famous. I mean, you have Sarah Cooper, who just got famous on TikTok. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I am legally too old to look at TikTok. (laughs) I'm not allowed around it. But so it's changed. Social media has been the huge change that I've seen in my career, but um, for me, Last Comic was probably the big introduction to America, and I still love traveling. Another thing I do that has been great for my recognition, and it's funny because people recognize my voice and have no idea what I look like, there's a radio show on NPR called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes, yes. It's a news quiz show. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do it about once a month, and that show has like five million listeners yeah. every week. Yeah. So I've I've been in the grocery store and had people come from the next aisle like you're Alonzo Bowden. I heard your voice. <laughs> like, that's what they know. Yeah. So uh-huh. I'll take uh-huh. that and and you know if uh, if James Earl Jones will ever quit, <laughs> you got to see Morgan Freeman, right? <laughs> hey, let me ask you a quick question, Alonzo. Can you you know I was listening to one of your. Uh, your sets and it mentioned there that you had gone to uh, various places like Greenland and Kuwait and and what was it like going to some of those ex- those different places there? Being there, there's no, so ma- so much no, no, diversity there, you know. So one of the great things stand up has done for me is I have seen the world. I've seen every part of the world except South America. That's mm-hmm. the only place I really haven't been. Hmm. because I get to do a lot of military shows. And, and like in the 90s and early 2000s, before the Iraq war started, I did a ton of USO shows. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is we have military bases everywhere in the world. Like Greenland has a huge Air Force base to monitor air traffic flying over the North Pole and throughout the Northern Hemisphere. So I got booked to go to Greenland. Now, the first time you go to Greenland, it's absolutely amazing. You hear these explosions, and it's ice, uh, icebergs like breaking off a glacier. Like, it's a natural phenomenon. It's amazing. Once. 
The second time you go, you're like, okay, this hasn't changed in 15 million years. Why did I come back to the coldest place on earth? <laughs> 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 from New York. <laughs> and then, you know, going to the Middle East, um, I love the Middle East. The Middle East, first off, is not what you see in the news. Okay. okay. It's not a bunch of people uh, walking around hating each other and hating mm-hmm. you because you're an American. And yeah. That exists. But that exists everywhere. We have extremists here in our own country. Mm-hmm. Do that, do that. Mm-hmm. But the Middle Eastern culture is a culture that goes back thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And you realize how young we are as a country when they have a history and you see these things that were built, you know, thousands of years ago. And, and their culture is fascinating and very cool. The same thing when you go to Europe. Let me tell you something. We have Italian food, but when you sit down to dinner in Italy, mm-hmm. and it takes three hours to go through seven courses, mm, you wow. like, oh, three hours. oh, this is how we're supposed to eat. We're <laughs> supposed to live like kings, you know? Yeah. So I've been, I've been lucky enough to experience all of that. I, there's no beauty in the world like the Amalfi Coast uh, off of Italy. There, there, again, for a natural splendor to see icebergs in Greenland. To see the 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 Red Sea, Mm -hmm. to get into the Dead Sea where you can't sink, and tour Israel, which the tour book for Israel is the Bible, literally. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's the River Jordan, and there's the Dead Sea, and there's the Valley of Armageddon, and you you actually see it in their real places. Mm -hmm. Wow, just amazing. And the the other side of that, entertaining the military. There is such a mutual love and respect because we get to see, like, if you if you go to Kuwait or Iraq and these countries and you see these soldiers, the temperature we were in in uh, Kuwait, it was 118 degrees. Whoa. And they're in a uniform carrying mm-hmm. a pack doing their exercises, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it is tough. And the other thing is you're you're dropped into a culture completely different than yours. Alcohol is illegal. You can't even have a beer at the end of a hot day, you know. Mm. So so besides the, the obvious danger of being in the military of, of life and limb, just the day-to-day to be so far from your normal culture, mm-hmm. they love when we come in and we give them a taste of home. We're telling jokes. We're making fun of things. They get to <clears> stop and laugh. So they appreciate that. And, and I have developed such a tremendous respect and appreciation for the service of the people in the military because I've been lucky enough to see where they are and on occasion they let us play with their toys what? it's also quite fun <laughs> it's not like you drove a tank well I, I've flown in Black Hawk helicopters mm. um, I did get to drive a Hummer back before anyone knew what a Humvee was we were in Honduras mm. and they had just got them and they were like Go ahead and drive it. You can't break it. Drive it over anything. <laughs> and they're, they're like, we're wow. like driving through rivers and stuff like wow. that. It's fantastic. Wow. So that kind of thing. Now, I've been on Navy ships, but they would never let me blow up anything. Like, can't we blow up a fishing boat? <laughs> Just something. <laughs> now, you didn't tell them you were... You were uh, um, Aircraft mechanic too, because they didn't have you start wrenching on aircraft. They right. Get you back. Hey, come on here. Get some rivets for us. Can I tell you a story about that? Yeah, go ahead. Something I promise you, I am the only person on earth who have had this experience. 
Wow. Oh, yeah. The first plane I ever worked on at Lockheed Aircraft was the F-117, called the Stealth Fighter. Yeah. Um, it was used in the first Gulf War. It was the first aircraft that was completely invisible to radar. It was all top secret when I worked well, on it. You're not going to get us in trouble saying all this on the air, are you? Because, you know, no, I... it's no longer, it's no longer <laughs> top it's, secret. It's on behalf of the What's Up With War show, we want to make sure for that disclaimer out there that Mr. Bolton does not represent... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked on that. Well, like I said, they used it in the first Gulf War, but there was a base in Egypt where they had these planes where they flew out of. And when we did, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in Egypt. Um, Egypt. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Egypt. But anyway, we go to the base where they have these planes, and they're showing it to us, and I'm telling them about the plane. And they're looking at me like, how do you know about this? And I'm like, oh, I built the first 20 of them. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, I worked on it. So that was really cool to uh, meet the flight crews and entertain the flight crews of a top secret aircraft that I had worked on. Wow, that's amazing. That's going full circle there. Man. Man. Well, it was just a great experience. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. These, are the, these are the kind of experiences, you know, besides the fun of being on stage, it, it's the life experiences I've received have been uh, pretty cool. Okay. So let me ask you a quick question. Some of your experiences there, I, I was able to watch some of the shows you had up in Montreal. Are you a real fan of going up to Montreal? I love it. Um, so with that being... Montreal's probably, it's probably my favorite city in the world. Really? Okay. So, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take probably off of that and tell you Montreal is my favorite city in the world. Just try to avoid it in the winter time. Oh, yeah. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. So then are you a, are you a big fan of the, what is it called, the national dish up there called the, is it poutine? With the uh, potatoes? No, not a not a poutine fan at all. See? Poutine is too heavy and greasy for me. I'm a big fan of smoked meat. Ah, okay. Um, okay. Smoked meat is it's similar to pastrami. It's mm-hmm. a sandwich they have up there that is is delicious. But Montreal is like it's the perfect combination. You have the style of Europe with the super friendly people of Canada and the convenience of the United States. It's all right there. It is such a beautiful city. The people are fantastic. Um, it would help if I spoke French. But what <laughs> happens is I'll, I'll speak two or three words of French, and they'll look at me like I'm a three-year-old and say, please, don't butcher our language. We'll speak English. This is Ward again. I got a question. How did you uh, hook up with uh, Jay Leno? How did you, because I know about the cars and, uh, well, I know you like motorcycles too, but how, how did you hook up with him on that show? I, I, motorcycles come first to me. I'm a motorcycle uh, nut okay, who okay. likes cars. Okay. The first time, the first time I met Jay was a surprise to me because there was a show that we used to do called Friday Night Videos that was uh, videos and comedy but it was shot on a Tonight Show stage. So I'm walking in and he's coming out and he recognized me. And I'm like, how does Jay Leno know who I am? Yeah. You know, but Jay knows comics and he knows comedy. And we talked for a little while. And then after last comic, I did his show. And I think that's the first time we started talking about motorcycles and cars. Mm-hmm. And um, I, he, he loved me and they were very good to me on his show. I, I, I don't know how many times I did it. Uh, seven or eight times, um, 
in prime time late night I did a lot and then when he left the Tonight Show and he started doing Leno's Garage yeah. he would just call me whenever he had a motorcycle to play with because he knew I loved motorcycles mm-hmm. and he'd say hey come on we got this bike we want you to ride we want to do this and do that and you know it's such a great thing like Jay Leno is the most down to earth ordinary guy for who he is you know what I mean to be that yeah. recognizable right Jay's got to be one of the most recognizable people there is just for the fact he was on TV every night for 20 years right but you can sit and talk cars with him or talk bikes all day he's very friendly and open and uh, <laughs> you know we were doing a show and we went to get lunch and we went to this place uh, called Pollo Loco oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in California, mm-hmm. the chicken place, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And they take the order, and they're really not looking up, and they said, is there a name for the order? And it's like, oh, it's Jay. And they were like, oh, my God. It's Jay. <laughs> and then, it was so funny. And suddenly, everyone comes running out of the kitchen. Everybody's like, oh, my God. It's Jay. But that's how Jay is. Like, yeah, we have lunch. Yeah, let's go to Pollo Loco, and I'll order it. Like, he's that guy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Really fun, really nice guy, and the garage. Uh, I was just talking with a, another guy in the bike world about it today. When you go to Jay's garage, Jay's garage is what any gearhead would have if we had unlimited money. Mm, yeah, you know, it, it's really just a cool. Like he would be doing that. TV, if he wasn't doing that TV show, he'd be doing the same thing. Like, yeah, let's go to my garage take out a couple of bikes or some classic car or mm-hmm. something like that and go for a ride and just play with it. So I'm lucky to be in. I always have fun. I do notice that he takes Lawrence Fishburne on nicer motorcycles. <laughs> I, I, uh, I brought that up that you know, yeah. Fishburne seems to get the, the A-list bikes. I'm about to see them. Well, well, I saw you, you You drove that one motorcycle that had like a grill on it. Was that real? Yes. Oh. yes the latest one we did. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Wow. This company in, um, in um, Portland, CC Motorcycle Company, mm-hmm. I believe it's called, yeah. built these bikes. They built one with a grill on it, and the other one had a uh, coffee, like uh, espresso stand on the back of it. That's crazy. And we rode around and we barbecued burgers while we were riding. That is crazy. It was hilarious and fun and all that. Man, that's amazing. I know you said you also recently rode that BMW G, uh, was that GS? Uh, 800 miles? Yeah, yeah that, that's my bike. The GS is the all-purpose adventure bike. Wow. And, um, yeah, that's my new record, 800 miles in a day. I'm going for a 1,000. 800 is the most I've done so far. And it was a great trip. I rode from L.A. to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and back. And right now, it's kind of nice doing road trips because the roads are relatively empty. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so true. It's, it's yeah. kind of fun to uh, to escape and, and unplug. You know, like our life right now is like we're doing this show, you know, yeah. on, a, on a conference call and there's so many things you're doing through Zoom and right. so on. So yeah. to get to turn to unplug, get off screen, and go out in the world is, is nice. Yeah, that's that's true. Now, do these uh, motorcycle people? They just give you a bike to test out for them. They're just like here. See, here's the difference, and let me explain you the difference between me and Jay Leno. They lend them to me. <laughs> 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 okay, that's the important. Wow. 
Now, the, the, the BMW GS, that's my personal bike. But yeah, on occasion, uh, motorcycle companies will, uh, Ducati, Honda, yep. mainly, they'll, they'll say, hey, we got this new bike, we want you to test ride it, mm-hmm. you know, take it for the weekend or for a few days and, and post about it on social media, which, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay. Now I heard you also have the, one of the largest production bikes in your possession too. Is that is that do you still have that bike, the Triumph? Yeah, as well? the Triumph, the, the Triumph Rocket Three, mm. which has a two point five liter motorcycle engine, which is just fantastic. That's bigger than the engine in your Corolla. Mm. Um, wow! And and I love that bike. It's just a big, comfortable, fast mm. cruising bike. That that is, uh, yeah, love it. So so you're not a Harley person, I take it then. No, you know, I've, I've never been a Harley guy. Um, Harleys are okay. Mm-hmm. I've ridden Harleys. I owned a Harley for well over two weeks. Uh, <laughs> well over two weeks. Dang, that long. But it's just, it's like, when you get into Harley Davidson, you get into a culture. It's not just the bike. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a whole culture. And that's the part, and then again, not knocking it, other than the, the knucklehead criminal side of it, nobody wants to Yeah. You know, so so it's like I get it and, and you guys go ahead and ride and enjoy and I've gone on rides with them, I've been invited. I've toured the um, I toured the Harley Hall of Fame in mm. Milwaukee, they invited me and they were great to me. But it's just not not my thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I wasn't really a Harley uh, fan either. A lot of my family members have them. I just I just don't like the way they shake that much. I just I couldn't get past that, but everybody seemed to love them. Yeah, like I say, it's a culture. And you know, one of the big things with Harley, and this is actually one of the problems they're having, right? So you had a whole generation that grew up always wanting a Harley Davidson. Right. Because that was the motorcycle. But like when you're a kid, something makes an impact and that's what you want, you know? And and so the generation grew up and they couldn't wait to get a Harley. Well, now they've all got them and Harley's, like their customer base is aging out, mm-hmm. you know? And they haven't really connected with a new younger customer base that's true that's their biggest thing that they're trying to do now uh yeah when you sell something you kind of want people to come back you don't want to just sell it to a certain generation and when that generation is gone or, or when they're done buying them you're like oh there's all yeah. your customers that's, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Are, are they big overseas the harleys or is it just an american thing it's mainly an American thing, but there are Harley clubs everywhere. I will tell you the, the funniest place that I ran into a bunch of Harleys. I was in Indonesia. This was one of the crazier gigs. Because every now and then you get calls to do these crazy shows. So it was a wedding in Indonesia. Uh, two super rich families. Think that, remember that movie, Crazy Rich Asians? Yep. Uh-huh. That kind of rich. Wow. Um, this wedding was going to have 6,000 guests. Gee. Mm. And the entertainment they hired, they hired um, a band, I don't know if you've heard of, called Incognito. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a big, like, jazz fusion band that's mm-hmm. really well-known. Uh, Peebo Bryson. Okay. And a woman named Lisa Stansby. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. She mm-hmm. had a big hit here, you know. Been around the world. Yes. So, 
So they hired me to host the entertainment for this wedding, right? And and they were doing it like it was a show, you know. Uh, so I'm like, okay, and you know, they paid well and flew me first class, everything. I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll do it. So the wedding, the funniest part of the wedding was, it was this woman in the wedding party. It was her birthday. So they got Pivo Bryson, right? Pivo Bryson, you know who you know? Who mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we know him. Mm-hmm. Pivo Bryson. He, he gets a dozen roses and he he walks across the floor singing happy birthday to her and presents the roses to her, right? Yeah. No one claps. No applause. <laughs> and he walks back to the stage and he just out of the side of his mouth says, Tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Man. We found out later. We found out later it was a cultural thing. It had nothing to do with his performance. Oh, it was okay. a cultural thing to not applaud yeah. at that particular time. Mm, it was okay. really funny. Anyway, so I'm there. So the wedding is Saturday. So I'm, I'm flying out Monday. So Sunday, I'm just walking around. And this is obviously the rich part of, of, and I don't remember the city, but it was the rich part of the city where you have, like, the designer mall boutiques, you know, mm-hmm. where, where, you know, it's like being on Rodeo Drive or Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. And I turned the corner, and there's 30 Harley Davidson. And it was like their Sunday meetup was at this mall. It was the funniest thing, like the most random thing for me to walk into the one motorcycle hangout in this city in Indonesia on, on their day. It was, and it, yeah, they, they were all Harleys and they big chrome. And these are not large people. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're not, you know, that's just who they are. So it, the bikes looked even bigger. It was, yeah. it, was very cool, <laughs> it was a very cool moment. Yeah, it was fun. Wow. That's small world after all. Okay. Um, well, Alonzo, it's three people in the room, so... That means we got to talk about number 45. I want to know, what's your views on <laughs> politics? Where, where are you at on that? I mean, you're not afraid to go there either with the comedy. I do appreciate that. But. No, you know, so here's the thing about Trump. And, and um, ever since, even before he was elected, he's like, oh, man, you comics must love Trump. You got to love Trump. No, we don't. <laughs> for, for a number of reasons. One, <laughs> It's hard to write anything funnier than what he actually said. Man. You know, this, this, this is a man mm. who, often wrong, but never in doubt, right? Always ready to spout the wrong opinion or made up, you know, the, the alternative facts. Right. How easy would school have been if we had alternative facts? Man. When the teacher's like, that answer's wrong, and like, I beg to differ, I just happen to use alternative facts. Right, there you go. I brought I brought my own facts, thank you very much. The answer is so, B, all of the above, right? Right. <laughs> so, so there's that, right? And then the other thing is, honestly, it becomes kind of boring because it's like, okay, what horrible thing did he do today? Right. What racist thing did he say today? What group did he insult today? What did he do to women today? What what international treaty did he not understand and talk about, right? But mm-hmm. it becomes the same thing but it's also the elephant in the room so we have so as a comic I have to comment on it but I don't want it to dominate my act right now the first year the first year was like that the first year was like what did this idiot do today but after that it became you know like right now 
imagine telling so many lies that when you say you caught the virus that is going around the world that everyone's getting, people are like, mm, I don't know if I believe you. Right. I don't know. That's true. This might be an act, right? Like, like, imagine being that level of a liar that people are like, I don't know. Might have caught it. Might be lying right now. He looked <laughs> terrible. Oh, he looked terrible the day before. So I'm not sure. It wasn't like he was the picture of health right. rolling in. He is obese. So, <laughs> so there's, there's all of that. And, and also everything in administration, you know, the, the um, machinating, the, the press secretary. I don't know where he finds his press secretary. Mm-hmm. You know, when she says that, that um, Amy... The, the Amy, what's her name? The uh, woman that they're putting in the Supreme Court. Right, yeah. Um, I forget her name. But yeah, Amy. Coming. But anyway, she calls her a Rhodes Scholar. And it's like, no, she went to Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. Rhodes Scholars are invited to Oxford mm-hmm. University in England. Kind of got that wrong. understand the difference. And they don't. <laughs> and they don't. And that's what's, that's what's so funny about it. It's like, Wow, they can just say anything. Anything. You know? So, so yeah, it, it's. Uh, listen, we'll be glad to go to a president that's not funny. Right. Barack Obama, that was a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Because he, because he was hard to make fun of. Yeah. Because he, for one thing, he had a sense of humor himself. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, he was so good. Yeah. He was so good at his job. You're like, man, man. Can you please make a mistake. Oh, he wore a tan suit. <laughs> That's all he got him on. Tan suit. He wore a tan suit. The, 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 the most fun with Barack Obama was knowing that even though he was a phenomenal president and leader of the free world, he wasn't trying it with Michelle. That was that was the best part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. He might be president and all that, but Michelle. Oh yeah, I listen to her. Yeah, so, he's so smart. Things don't change ever. He was smart. Yeah. Ever. Do you? Do you? He's re- so happy. So happy to go back to a boring president. Trust me. Oh yeah. Uh, I think ninety-eight percent of comedians will be happy to go back to a boring president. Yeah, you're right. Do you really think Trump is uh, racist, or do you think he's just yeah chasing the yeah. money? <laughs> okay. Next question. Next I, question. I kind of you know I I didn't know because. I just think he likes money because before he was a Democrat, then he, now he's a Republican, and then the people who support him couldn't even get in his country club. So I'm thinking, does this guy, is he around smart people to say, hey, well, man? He's, you know, the, yeah, he's, everyone he's around is smarter than him, and there are people using him. But this is why, this is why I say he's a racist, because going back to the discrimination lawsuit on his uh, housing units in New York, mm-hmm. To the Central Park Five. Oh yeah, as he took that's true. Saying that they should be put to death, even after they were proven innocent, he was like, "I don't care." Listen, when you publicly say that Mexicans are are rapists and dope dealers, and yet your your golf courses and hotels are hiring them as illegal labor, oh, wow. like he, that's all racism, man. That's, <clears throat> you know, all jokes aside, that's when you start actually thinking you're better than. And, and, you know, I've said this repeatedly, and I'll throw him right into this barrel. Without fail, white supremacists are always the least supreme white people. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I put him in that category. But it's a shame. It's a shame. And it's a shame that he has 
And it's not even dog whistles anymore. It's, it's blatant call-outs to the racist saying, you're on my side. You mm-hmm. know, when you say... When you say to the Proud Boys, stand by. Right. And then the next day, and the next day you say, I, Proud Boys, I don't even know who they are. It's like, you're, you're obviously lying. Yeah. But what I love about that was all the gay men who took over the Proud Boy hashtag. Yeah. Started posting. They sure, they sure did. As Proud Boys. And, and see, that's the thing about it. Um, good people step up. And, mm-hmm. and people's sense of humor step up. So kudos to all the gay men who posted his proud boys. Yeah. But is he a racist? Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you made some good points. I, I do say that. I have quickly changed my views on that. I was trying to get him the benefit of the doubt, but, you know, I guess that's no, not and you know something, and, and this is something, listen, Dave Chappelle, okay, let me talk about Dave for a minute. Okay. Who, besides being a super nice guy and the most humble guy you're ever going to meet, especially at his level of fame, Dave, in my opinion, has become the greatest social commentator in history. Now, I, I would have said it was George Carlin up until recently, but in my opinion, Dave has taken over. And Dave, you know, he famously did that Saturday Night Live, right, the week Trump got elected, and said, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then he came back later, I think it was six months, nine months later, and said, nope, done, <laughs> like, nope. No, you know, why give the benefit of that? This is my problem. Like, why do we give energy to bad people as if they're somehow going to turn good? Like, why can't we just turn our back on them and say, you're done? You know, like, I I, I say, like, listen, I'm not going to argue with a racist over 40, right? Because I'm not going to change his mind or her mind. They've made up their mind. We see it every day on social media. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with a misogynist or, you know, the hatred of gay people fascinates me because it's like, how does that affect you? Right. How does who they love affect you in any way, you know? So, yeah, when it comes to those things, I don't have a benefit of the doubt. You show, you know, what did my Angela say? When someone tells you who they are, mm-hmm. believe them. Believe them. Believe them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that I really thought was interesting during one of your interviews, I think it was when you're interviewing with someone from St. Louis. You said, even though when you're talking about something, you know, kind of think about what you were just saying, and you never made it personal, you didn't insult the person, but, you know, when a person shows their true colors, like you said, hey, it is what it is on that particular instance, so, yeah. Um, let, let, me, let me ask you a question about other comedians that you brought up, Dave Chappelle. Who would you say, if you had your Mount Rushmore, who would be your top four? Not Yourself not included. Yeah. Not including yourself. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't include myself. Mm. I will say Chappelle, mm-hmm. Fryer, Carlin, and I'm going to say this, and there'll be blowback and people will be mad and this and that. What Bill Cosby did was horrible. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the effects of what he did was he destroyed his legacy mm-hmm. in comedy because he was one of the greatest comics of all time. And that legacy is destroyed by his behavior. And his and his unwillingness to admit or apologize for the hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't put him on there. So the fourth spot on that Mount Rushmore of comedy is a really tough spot to fill because there's so many. You know, do you look at somebody who's historically a giant <clears throat> like like a Don Rickles? 
Yeah. You look at somebody who's a, a superstar of TV, like Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. You look at, I'll, I'll give you a name that you, you look at her history, you know, and you, you see someone like Phyllis Diller mm-hmm. or Joan Rivers. Yep. Those women did comedy when they were the only woman in the oh, world doing comedy. Like, can you imagine what that was like? Yeah. To be the only woman and you're standing up there with, you know, Don Rickles and Milton Berle and, and all of these men mm-hmm. and you're the woman. Um, and, and speaking to that on a more modern, Wanda Sykes oh, is yeah. funnier. Wanda is five times funnier than anyone gives her credit for. And she sure is. the credit we give her, I would I will put Wanda's name in the same conversation with Chappelle, Chris Rock, um, Kevin Hart, or any of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put Wanda Sykes in that same conversation. I would too. So, so on that Mount Rushmore, I don't I don't even know which one of these women I would put up there, um, but it would have to be one of them. I think. Right. Yeah. I think it would have to be one of them. I definitely like Wanda Sykes. I, I think for me, I. I would have to put Seinfeld up there too. I really enjoy what Eddie Murphy did and and Richard Pryor and uh, probably one of my all-time favorites is actually Paul Mooney because his his wit was so quick and he just it's just Paul was you know Paul Paul is a monster yeah you know, Paul is fantastic that's the problem like I say that's the problem with that fourth spot <laughs> yeah the first three mm-hmm. the first three are easy yeah <laughs> the fourth one is the hard one to fill yeah. And I don't want to forget Red Fox either. I really yeah, Red Fox. Too. Yeah, he was fine. Different Listen, I'm going to give you a name that gone too soon, but unbelievable. Robin Harris. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Baby kids. Yeah. He, Imagine if Robin hadn't died, how big he would have been in the comedy game. Robin was unbelievable. You know, Spike Lee was like, put him in every movie. Yep. Don't write a script. Just point <laughs> just him and stand back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ain't too many people are gonna tell Denzel Washington you got a head like a question mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. You know what? Did you have another question? I don't want to go get another. You know, just real quick. You know, <clears throat> if you had a chance to do a King of Connery tour, who would be the other three folks you would take on the tour with you? Mm, good question. Wow. Uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond the the obvious superstars that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take George Wallace. Oh, love him. Because mm-hmm. he'd be thinking. The, the old master, the old master of the game, I would take him. Um, man, you, you're hitting me with a hard one. <laughs> would, would I, take I would take Wanda. I would definitely take Wanda Sykes. I'd take, it'd have to be a queen amongst the kings. Mm-hmm. Yep, that'd be, and that, mm-hmm. that, um, you're already making money now. Mm-hmm. And who would be my fourth? Man, who, that'd be a tough one. What's the guy on Blackish? Charlie? What's his name? Hmm. Are you talking about Anthony Anderson? No, the other one. Uh, the Charlie on the show. I forgot his name. He does the Old Spice commercial. Oh, oh, yeah. I know who you're talking Deion about. Deion Cole. I'm, I'm, yeah. Deion Cole is a great name. Deion Cole is... Man, that guy's funny. Yeah. I love that guy. He could, he could be on there. Um, you know, here's a, here's a name for you. Been in the game forever. Earthquake. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Earthquake, yeah. Would you say George Lopez with you? Take, I would take Earthquake, and I would put Earthquake in the Bernie Mac spot. Mm, okay. Mac spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being the guy, being the guy that they didn't know by name, right? The black comedy world goes quake. Yeah. 
the white comedy world sort might have heard of Quake just the way it was with Bernie Mac. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, you guys ain't even ready for this. You ain't even ready for how funny Quake is. Right. So yeah, I put, I, I take Quake. Okay. Well, and then I just host. I was supposed to get out of the way. Get yeah. MC, there you go. That, that's cool. Um, before we wrap it up, we just want to do a little section called Getting to Know You. We just ask you a few quick questions. You just give your, your quick answer on what you think. Okay, first question is, um, what do you think about Saturday Night Live? Has it run its course or has it still got life left in it? It comes and goes. Mm-hmm. It's great to have a great cast or a breakout star. Then it kind of sits, lays in a cut. Then someone else blows it up yep. so it comes and goes yeah okay friends or living single oh living single <laughs> yeah, that's not even close okay yeah, not even close alright um, what, what, what do you listen to when you're uh, you're listening to music what's on your playlist jazz jazz okay jazz. okay um, will Trump leave the White House with any problems without any problems if he loses yeah, there's no problem. He's a coward. It's just talk. He just said that to keep his name in the news cycle. He's a coward. He'll leave. Okay. He's got no fight in him. I don't know, man. I'm really concerned about that, but we'll see how that goes. You know, listen, let me tell you my view on that, okay, with all that talk and all these white guys that, that grab their guns and walk around like they're tough. Again, I've met the military. I've been, mm-hmm. been lucky enough to meet some of those people in the military who were in Iraq kicking in doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met members of special forces. Yeah, these idiots are not ready to take on the United States military. That That's like me challenging LeBron to a game of basketball. Like, yeah, okay, LeBron, let's go. You and me. <laughs> Trust me. They, they, listen, every real badass I've met would never tell you. You're right. You're absolutely right on that. You're right. I, I, I can tell you a story that I agree. Okay. So I I am not at all worried about these dumb. There's a few of them that are ex-military. There's a few of them that are real. But the vast majority of them. I'll tell you this. You ever see when they walk around with their open carry showing off their guns? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In white suburbs. It's like, why don't you go out to the hood? <laughs> right, yeah. Go to, go, to go to Compton. And, and open carry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why don't you go open carry around some crypts? Right, yeah. They ain't going to do none of that. You're right. I Listen. I can open carry in a nice suburb. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know that? Yeah. Oh, you're going to the grocery store with your AK-47 strapped to your back. AR-15. Okay. All right. I, moms are step right. Now. I see that all the time too. Um, okay. Here's one. Uh, who's the goat? LeBron or MJ? Uh oh. Eternal argument, um, and I'm not taking the the short way out. I'm a LeBron fan. Me too. I've been a LeBron fan from day one. Me too. LeBron is not the next Jordan. He's the first LeBron. Oh, oh, I like that. Sounds like a t-shirt. I'm going to write so, that down. Not the, uh, You know, uh, there, there, to me, there have been three players that I've seen change the game. Mm-hmm. The first one was Magic Johnson. Yep. To see a point guard who was 6'9". Mm-hmm. Magic used to, and I don't know how old you guys are. I don't know how long you've been watching. Magic used to throw passes that the cameraman wouldn't know where the ball was. Exactly. <laughs> seen that. The yes. length of the court, yeah. Mm-hmm. Magic was like, so 
So he changed the game, right? Yep. Jordan changed the game in that Jordan could fly. Right. And that changes Jordan's leaping ability and athletic ability and that that part of Jordan that said never say die, right? So that was another person. Well LeBron came along and, and I got to talk to a retired NBA ref about this and this guy he said, I ref uh, for Magic, I ref for Jordan, I ref for Kobe. He said I never did LeBron's games, but I was in the he was like a supervisor when LeBron he said there's never been anyone that size, that strong, with that skill set. Mm-hmm. LeBron is as if Magic Johnson and Karl Malone became one. Right. And and the fact that LeBron led the league in assists this year is insane. Incredible. How do you just change your game and say, okay, I'm going to lead in assists? And the other thing he did that Jordan didn't do is he did it with different teams. Oh, Jordan yeah. Jordan had a phenomenal team around him throughout the 90s. There was one of those teams that LeBron went to the finals with were four guys who he met on the way to the park. Right. (laughs) In Cleveland. (laughs) Several times. Yeah, he he just met four guys and was like, hey, man, you guys want to go in? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so, so, you know, you can argue that. And listen, people who love Jordan are never going to say that LeBron's better. They can't Uh, do it. People who love Kobe. I live in L.A. The Kobe people will never say Mm -hmm. it. And, and like, I'm not going to argue it, but I'll tell you this. He's the first LeBron James, and to be that big and strong a physical specimen. But you see LeBron smiling. Yep, that makes a difference. You know, LeBron, I think LeBron and Magic have fun playing basketball. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Jordan and Kobe were more like, I'm going to do anything to win, which, again, good for you. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know. And then when you talk about the GOAT, here's the one who nobody mentions who is the GOAT. Jamar. Him or Russell. Him or Russell. Now, challenge me me on that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the GOAT. Yeah, I can't argue with you. I mean, I I like him and Russell, but I I would give Mm -hmm. the edge to, to Jabbar because... Man, he just, he created his own shot, basically. And a, it changed rules. Couldn't, couldn't stop it. Here's the thing Kareem did that no one else did. He played against three different eras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played against Bill Russell, and he also played against Patrick Ewing. Wow. Yep. Think about that. Think about that. That's he true. Played against every, he played different eras. So anybody from the early 70s, when he had to play against Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, to the end of his career when mm-hmm. he was playing against, you know, um, like I say, um, Patrick Ewing and people like that. Like, yeah. And, you know, six championships. I don't know how many MVPs and, and everything. And the greatest scorer of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. He's number one. Um, before I let you go, I don't want to get all off in basketball, but just one question. Do you think uh, Steph Curry is – one of the best point guards ever? One of the best shooters ever. Okay. And he may end up being the best shooter ever. I agree. Um, best point guards? No. Yeah. You're very Just wise. Super, super <laughs> great shooter. Mm-hmm. But no, not as a point guard. Not creating. Um, no defense. Not carrying a team. Yeah. Also, the other thing about Steph, and God bless him, Rex Chapman, I don't know if you follow Rex Chapman on Twitter. But 
Brett Sappen, who used to be in the NBA, has a great Twitter, and he's always put up big. And he showed the, the NBA in the 80s and 90s. Steph couldn't have played. No. 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 Steph, Steph couldn't have played back in that. In those days, if Steph had to go up against the Detroit Pistons, if he had to go up against Isaiah Thomas. Carmelo. And Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. If he yeah. had to go against mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Mason or oh, John yeah. Starks from the Knicks. I mean, they showed back then mm-hmm. when you, like, you clothesline a guy, and that was just a two-shot <laughs> right. you know, There was no flagrant. Yeah. You know, and they had, they used to call it the no-layup rule. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that I admire um, Reggie. You know, when Reggie comments on basketball games, he never talks, Reggie Miller, I'm talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we know he him. Talks, yeah, he never talks about how great he was. Yeah. When he talks about these shooters. Because Reggie had to play when the foul was punching you in the chest while you were shooting the three-point. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Steph Curry gets a foul call. If you foul someone next to Steph Curry, <laughs> someone <laughs> in the stands. Right, Steph. I like that. <laughs> Reg, Reggie, they were like, Reggie, we're going to let you get this shot off, but we're going to. You're going to feel gonna it. going to take a shot in the ass. You know, and Reggie had to just do it, right? So, but he never talked about that, and, and I got mad respect for him for that. But yeah, I don't think Steph could have played in the physical NBA era. Yeah, uh, Reggie also kicked people and got away with that too. But well, that was part of the game. Yeah. You know, listen, watch watch Patrick Ewing's his mid-range jumper. His knee always came up. Mm-hmm. His knee came. I used to try to learn that when I played. I played ball in the '80s, and I was trying to learn how to do that. His knee would always come up to give him space, and you know, I mean, that's how you play. Let me tell you something. Charles Barkley. Can I say this? Charles Barkley's ass was 53 inches wide and solid. <laughs> I was lucky enough. I got to play against Charles in this TV thing, and it was, it was like running into a tree trunk. Gee. He was. Mm. Nothing. He was, he, he's one of those guys that was built like a barrel that looked fat and was solid muscle. Yeah. And when Charles hit you, you felt you that. Knew you were hit, man. man. <laughs> I underestimated that man then. When Charles hit you, you knew you were hit. And and you know, listen, he he would lead the league in rebounds. Charles Barkley's like six five. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not tall, not NBA tall. Mm-hmm. But he was so wide and so strong, you know. So different game, different era, but definitely fun. And yeah. those guys were, they could have played today, but I don't know how many of today's players could have played back then. That's mm-hmm. a good point. That's Very good point. And Very people good. always comparing them. You can't do it. Yeah. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. But can you go ahead and tell the people, uh, listeners, where they can find you at, you know, social media and, and what you got coming up uh, next? Everything I do is alonzobowden.com, A-L-O-N-Z-O-B-O-D-D-E-N.com. My Instagram is so funny, and my social media is under, is at Alonzo Bowden. This weekend, I'm doing, uh, it's a phenomenal show. I talked about my love of jazz. It's Saturday night with the Marcus Miller Band. Marcus Miller is the most incredible bass player, composer, just a super creative guy. He's put together this all-star jazz band, and we have uh, Gregory Porter, uh, Grammy Award winner, as the vocalist. It's going to mm. be an amazing show. 
So if you go to SaturdayNightWithMarcusMiller.com, you can you can get your streaming tickets to that. Okay. Nice. Uh, it's also you can find it through my website. And uh, you know I'll be around. I ain't going nowhere, man. My career is all about waiting for George Wallace to retire. <laughs> Take it over. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching George for 20 years, and the moment he slows down a step, I got it. Okay. <laughs> he's in Vegas, isn't he? He's, he's doing a show every night in Vegas, Yes, isn't? he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he is. Well, he will be when the pandemic... Right, that's right, yeah. yeah. I forgot for just a moment. You're right. But okay. In uh, closing, I want to thank you again for doing our show. Uh, I want to thank my partner in pseudo-crime, the talented Dr. Trey. Yes, sir. The... Listen, when the world opens, you take Dr. Trey to New York, <laughs> you get him a slice of pizza. <laughs> All right. I'm definitely and fold it. No disrespect to Little Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking care of Little Caesar. He's a very good man. I work with him. You take Dr. Trey to New York, and you go to a place where people are standing up eating. Do not sit down. Standing up. Pulls out a fold fork. it. If he pulls out a fork to eat his pizza, I'll tase him. You're done with it. I'll you're tase him right there on the spot. I'll tase him right there. All right. Uh, I also also (laughs) want to send a shout out to my super producer Phil Coleman in the house so until next time people keep this thought in mind until you value yourself you won't value your time until you value your time you may not do anything with it so choose to focus your time your energy and conversation around people who inspire you who support you and help you grow into the happiest strongest wisest self you can be thank you for listening to What's Up With Ward thank you Lonzo thank you Lonzo My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.